0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Into the Outback. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
0: Basically, I was traveling from one side of Australia to the other um, to start a new job. And um, I was traveling through the center of Australia, which is very desolate. And I stopped to help some people who were pretending to be broken down on the side of the road with their vehicle. And I helped one of them, let them in my vehicle, and ended up getting drugged and mugged and left for dead in the middle of the desert.
2: We love a survivor story on Ghost Town, especially ones that still feel a little ambiguous mysterious, maybe like someone's not telling the entire truth. I don't know. Well, this story, I found it. I liked it. It's one of those, the compelling, frightening, and often gross story of Ricky McGee. Ricky McGee was born in 1970 in Gipsland, Victoria. He called his childhood pretty happy until his family moved to Melbourne, where his father unfortunately committed suicide. After this incredibly traumatic event, McGee left school to work a bunch of jobs. He was an electrician, carpet salesman, shrimp fisherman, a bailiff. Unfortunately, McGee went to jail after getting into a fight and for some other not related drug offenses. He served his time and then moved to Queensland. In January 2006, McGee was 35 and had just been offered work in a government agency in Port Hedland, a part of Western Australia. He took the job and set off on the Buntine Highway to drive from Queensland to Port Hedland in his 2001 Mitsubishi Challenger. It was a very long, 39-hour drive, but one he'd made a couple times before. The agency he was hired at confirms this story. But the events that happen afterward get a little bit hazy. McGee's version of what happened to him changes over time and in between interviews. He first told his rescuers that his car had broken down and he blacked out. Later, he claimed he had picked up an aboriginal hitchhiker between the towns of Calgary and Halls Creek. At some point, while McGee said that although he normally always opened his own drinks from his car refrigerator, yes, he had a car refrigerator, pretty cool, he had the hitchhiker open one for him. The hitchhiker drugged his drink, and he passed the fuck out. Even later, in his 2010 autobiography, Left for Dead, How I Survived 71 Days Lost in a Desert Hell, yes, spoiler alert, McGee said that there were three men sitting on the roadside who ran out of gas. He offered to give one of them a lift to a nearby gas station, and that man poisoned him. Or maybe snagged him with a syringe during a struggle. Anyway, overpowered him, stunned him, and he blacked out. In this version, he awakens feeling increasingly dazed and confused. Hours later, he regains consciousness in a camp with a bunch of people. Someone in the camp had a gun, but didn't use it. The people in the camp brought him water, and then all of them took their camp and kind of took off. But before they left, they stole McGee's shoes and left him with a dead phone and $14.50 in his pocket. Then, after this, he blacks out again, and again, regains consciousness. This time, he's in a hole, covered in black plastic, which he had some rocks and dirt thrown on top of him. He awakens to the attempts by four dingoes to claw at him and gets up and, like, starts to figure out what he needs to do next. So what's next is walking, and lots of it. McGee walks for 10 days through the Tanami Desert, an area the size of France, Italy, and Spain combined. He was in and out of consciousness, enduring a lot of heat exhaustion and temperatures above 104 degrees Fahrenheit. McGee said that he survived by eating plants and catching and eating frogs, lizards, snakes, insects, leeches, and by drinking water from various dams and waterholes, scavenging around in the bush. In an interview with ABC Radio, he said, I ate the leeches raw, straight out of the dam, grasshoppers, I just ate them. But the only thing I really sort of had to cook was the frogs, which I slipped in a bit of wire and stuck the wire on top of my humpy, the word for his little camp, let the sun dry them out a fair bit until they were a bit crispy, and then just ate them. He also tried to eat a cockroach, quote, I didn't even really eat it. I put it in my mouth, bit down and spat it back out again. The taste stayed in my mouth for two days. The little frogs were pretty tasty, though. He'd walk during the day and every evening, eat his only meal, one at the end of the night, just enough to stay alive. When water was unavailable, he drank his urine after chilling it to make it less urine flavored, I guess. It was incredibly hot in the daytime and incredibly cold at night, and as he walked, he created temporary shelters out of old branches, a feed trough, and a windmill. He lived in the feed trough for 10 weeks, hanging out in the cattle yards trying to survive. At a certain point, McGee became dangerously weak, so much so that he didn't have the strength to catch his meals at night anymore. He suffered a near-fatal abscess of his tooth at one point. It didn't kill him. The pain got so bad that he pried the tooth out of his mouth with his own car keys."
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Jamie, host of Murderish, a true crime podcast that provides a 3D look at gripping murder cases from beginning to end. You'll get to know the victims and perpetrators, how their worlds collided, and what went down during trial. I also share some of my own personal experiences, like the time a stranger came into my bedroom at night. Yeah, that really happened, and I walk you through all the details of that terrifying night. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall during a murder trial? You'll get that opportunity on Murderish, as I share my experience being a jury foreman on a first-degree murder trial. Search Murderish in your favorite podcatcher app, hit subscribe, and start binging. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make
1: you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Hi, hello. How are you? Hello. This is the check-in.
2: This is your check-in. Daily, weekly, bi-weekly.
1: Well, just listen to this episode over and over and over again, and you'll get it every single time, or just listen to the other episodes, and you'll get a check-in for most of them, I think, at this point.
2: Unless you're a Patreon subscriber. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and if you're a patreon subscriber i want did that. To say hello to our patreon subscribers and of course anyone who's listening thank you or sharing this or telling someone mm-hmm. word of mouth Ooh, you know that that's old fun. thing that's
2: underground kind the of the only grassroots. i think
1: the only word of mouth is usually this is bad Ugh. i want to tell you about it. it's never like <laughs> this is good let is me share the word <laughs> but tell people it's bad it's better i guess than not telling anyone anything at all yeah. Unless we're your dirty little secret. Ooh. Is that what we are? Ooh, baby. Ooh, tell us more. If you want ad-free, chit-chat-free bonus episodes, go to patreon.com slash pod. and it helps out the show. Just bought some new microphone equipment
2: yeah i'm looking at it right now and it's well
1: it's gold plated did we mention that it has to be gold plated it's
2: blindingly gold
1: is a kanye west (laughs) brand microphone i don't know maybe he has them easy phones yes easy phone that's fun yeah we're we're what are we we're zillennials easy phone (laughs) it's lit Uh uh-oh i don't know if you can notice but I got Invisalign, Mm -hmm. not a sponsor, in a big way, not a sponsor. In a big
2: way, in a full price kind of way. In a
1: full price kind of way, I'll be Mm -hmm. paying for it forever, but it's not even cosmetic. I wouldn't have done it. It was literally because my teeth were wearing down because of the way my mouth and jaw are shaped. This is probably the third dentist to tell me like, hey, you need to, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) The world's going to end anyway. Yeah, I only listen to cult leaders that tell me the world's going to (laughs) end.
2: You take the cigarette out of your mouth at the dentist office, and you're like, "Hell Mm-mm. no! Why bother, huff, huff, bitch?"
1: So it's not been fun. And this episode we're listening to, yeah, he has a lot of complaints, but has he ever gotten Invisalign? <laughs> no. So walk a mile in my Invisalign. <sighs> Baby!
2: <laughs> wow. wow, a real call to arms, you know.
1: We want to say hello to our government. Absolutely, mayors roll call. <laughs> Ashley Matson, hello. Joshua Lambert, hello. James Harrington, hello. Dara Rosenzweig, hello. And for some breaking news, we have a brand new mayor, David Bull. Hello, everyone. Show him the ropes. Show them where the snacks are. Show them where the bathroom is. They're not in the same place, but welcome brand new mayor, David Bull. And helmed Mm. by the one and only governor, Avian Noble. Hello. I have a new video out. It's almost 20 minutes long. I go off in that way where I'm very diplomatic. (laughs) (laughs) What? On the episode that we also did on sherman janovich and Mm -hmm. robert pastorelli there's a video version of that if you want to see my face Mm. my friend who shoots it david prater thank you to make me look uh, like i'm not super pale and i'm not super fat Ooh, he did a pretty good job. Tan
2: and lean. Can mm-hmm. he just give me a filter for my everyday life? See either. It's
1: old. My- I use the old MySpace effect. <laughs> Remember that? So you can find that at youtube.com slash Jason Horton, or you can find it in the link in the description.
2: Oh, that's easy. Go do that now. Yeah. While you're my doing- mouth hurts,
1: so I'm done.
2: <laughs> while you're doing that, let's get back to the middle of the Australian outback where we have. 71 days later, 71 days of this, McGee was discovered by local ranchers 31 miles from Birindudu Station, a cattle ranch. Again, very far, 310 miles from the nearest city. McGee was starving, sunburnt, malnourished, and jarringly gaunt. And these are kind of the photos that I saw that led me into this whole story. It is, it's really disturbing. They put McGee in the back of their Land Rover. He said that he was so excited, he kept touching them to see if they were real. Birundudu station manager Mark Clifford described McGee as just a walking skeleton when he was brought into the station and said that the area he was found in was one of the most isolated places in Australia. On April 5th, 2006, McGee was flown to the Royal Darwin Hospital, where medical staff described him as emaciated but well hydrated. Okay. There he was interviewed by Northern Territory Police, although they dismissed suggestions that there was any question of criminal activity on McGee's part. They said that they were unable to find any evidence of criminality at all. In fact, McGee's Mitsubishi Challenger has never been found. All in all, McGee lost 130 pounds during this period of his life, these 71 days, over half of his original body weight, and discharged himself from the hospital after six days. Now, this was not the story of a celebrated survivor, many people had doubts about his story. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that McGee was attempting to sell his story to a commercial television station. It also reported that the police, too, initially had some lingering doubts about the story because of his previous minor drug convictions. McGee himself obviously denied all of this, saying, People need to understand what I've been through. To have survived out here for so long and then be told I made it all up makes me sick. He even offered to appear live on television and eat frogs to prove he was telling the truth. ABC Radio reported that McGee had told his story to them for free, although only after trying unsuccessfully to persuade the station to match a $15,000 offer he said he received from another network. The doctor who treated McGee and Darwin commented that it was very difficult to either deny or validate his story as he responded so well to the treatment provided by dieticians, nutritionists, and physicians at the hospital. According to Mark Clifford, the guy at the local rancher who... Picked up McGee and took him to the hospital. He said he looked, he thrived after being there. Clifford visited McGee in the hospital and was stunned by the speed of his recovery. I saw him last week when he'd just been admitted, he said. He looked like a skeleton then. But I saw him on TV last night and he looked completely different. Clifford also mentioned that although the temperatures were high, it was in the middle of the wet season during the time, which was a huge benefit. When combined with the abundance of small wild animals and McGee's hardy constitution, his chances of survival were, with hindsight, actually relatively good. However, it was never really established precisely how McGee became as lost as he did. Major Leslie James Hiddens, known as the Bush Tucker Man, is a retired Australian Army soldier and war veteran who is known and loved by all Australians, apparently, for his love and kind of insane expertise on serving in the Australian bush. He acknowledged that McGee's survival was not as surprising as might have been thought. It was possible, he said, to survive in the bush for up to three years, and that, quote, there are some areas where it's difficult to survive and others where you can. For example, the area where McGee was, Hiddens described as, quote, dry country, which is, you know, that's pretty severe country in there. Other survival experts give McGee credit for instinctively solving the basic requirements of water, food, and shelter and adopting a survival mindset that pulled him through. McGee emigrated to Dubai to work in construction after this whole story broke and kind of died down after a while. In 2010, he wrote his book and might be making a movie about his experience.
1: Of course, as you were talking about this, I thought, what's the rub? Like, is it, <laughs> you know, it, do we find out it's a hoax? Mm-hmm. And I guess like you said it's hard to verify. Mm-hmm. And... I guess you would need experts to say, like, you know, can this person survive? And the way they found him, the doctors, you know, was it as they claimed? I'm sure he didn't go through this just to be like, oh, I really want to get a a payday from ABC or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So is it possible that the parts of the story where it involves being buried alive and then poisoned, is that is that possibly made up? Is it possible mm-hmm. that he got lost
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know is that the case? which is again it's still a survival story yeah but it's not you can't fill up as many pages of a book or mm-hmm. as many minutes in a movie
2: yeah like nobody is saying it has to be 71 day like nobody is like well after 70 days we take you seriously and before then we don't you know like i it, it's weird to me because i think there's shades of it that feel so brutal and again look at these pictures. They are, it's really tough. Like this person has been through something and it's been traumatic on their body and mind. But like, how did this really start? You know, he can't even get his own story straight. He's out there wandering around in the middle of fucking nowhere, eating tiny creatures, I guess. At what point is it like, at worst, he just like wandering off into the desert? But wouldn't we find his car? Like there's, there's so many things that could point to one way or another. And I hate, too, that the police, and a lot of uh, places that I researched talked about his prior charges, doesn't really seem to be germane to his story, honestly. But it's like, what is the truth and what is not true? Or what is a mixture of both? At the end of the day, he survived this really horrifying thing. You get to decide what level of credibility he has.
1: I guess I would, you know, it'd be great to hear from people in his life to say, Mm -hmm. oh, he's, he's, Gotten lost and wandered off before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was his own issue. Like, that was his own. He just did that. Yeah. And, or somebody's like, yeah, this, you know, he's, I don't know, he's always wanted to sell a story on himself. Yeah. And if there's no one out there like that, you know, if there's no one out there to kind of corroborate that, yeah, then it is really hard to say. But that's, you know, you always look at somebody's past to say, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this is the kind of person that would do that. Oh, this person made up stories all the time, but they got kidnapped. Yeah, and and such. But also, maybe he really does think that. I mean, when you're, if you're kind of you know kind of losing it out there, mm-hmm. you might I don't know you would you know your mind to keep it active or to maybe keep you sane is to kind of develop a story. Yeah, it, it's I guess it is really hard to you know his his, his truth might be truthful. Mm-hmm. The truth might be something different, or it might be exactly the way he says it.
2: Yeah, I mean, no one has come forward, to, you know, like, these people that may have apprehended him and taken him to a camp, like, they're gone. We don't know who they are. That's a kind of a common story that we hear from people who are guilty of doing something or or trying to take kind of the blame off of them or trying not to be the instigators in their own tragic story. But then also, like, yeah, you're you're baking out in the sun for, like, 70, like you're you're just surviving so like whatever story you tell yourself ultimately becomes the truth at the end of the day and i also get making money off of a trauma if you have the opportunity i know it sounds callous to say that but it's like if this is true yeah he should be getting money to tell his story if it's not entirely true that makes it murkier
1: he hasn't spent 2 days wearing invisalign so mm. where's my story i guess this <laughs> is it right